What's going on out there, everybody? Welcome to episode 232 of the Alamo Audible Podcast, brought to you by the Dave Campbell Texas Football Republic of Football Podcast Network. This is your host, Jared Kalmus, joined as always by uh, my Twitterless uh, co-host, Andrew Ramirez, who has, who fell victim to some nefarious hackers on his birthday yesterday. It, it was an ugly sight, Adrian. I'm, I'm really sorry about what you're going through. Dude, I don't know what happened. And I did not have a statement prepared for this, although I should have known that we were going to address <laughs> oh, it live on the podcast. Sorry, I know you've been through a lot of, uh, a lot of difficult times this week. I didn't mean to, to drop another one on you. It's been hard. You know, I, I don't know what happened. I've never done anything like I've never clicked on some sketchy looking link on Twitter for, you know, illegal UTSA TV streams or anything. <laughs> like, I don't I don't know what happened to compromise my information. It's a super old email address. I learned it's that I don't even use anymore. It's not even active anymore. So I can't reset it. I can't get it back. I have filed that I've been hacked. Uh, Twitter's email correspondent system doesn't seem to be working um i don't know what to do i don't know too i guess i could report the account like as a user maybe people can help me report the report the spam crypto tweets don't buy the crypto i don't endorse that audible does not endorse (laughs) that um yeah i just it's brutal yeah but i i've created a new handle i've not started tweeting from it yet i'd like to try to recover although i know the chances are very very slim um and if I can't recover, well, then I'll just announce the new handle. We will rebuild. We will rebuild. That will. That's what will happen. Hey, man, UTSA is a cybersecurity school. If there's any gray hat hackers out there that want to get their hands dirty and uh, see if they can strike back at these uh, Bitcoin hackers, <laughs> we get will in touch. get in touch. We we will do it as a paid internship opportunity. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. We 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 will give you internship credit. For oh that. man, yeah, it sucks. Well, what doesn't suck is UTSA just continues to roll through conference play. Adrian, great game last Saturday for the Roadrunners. Not a beautiful first half, but they really opened it open in that third quarter. Opened it open. They really opened it up in the third quarter. Poured it on the Rice Owls. They made it eight straight over Rice. Crazy to think about, given the history of these two programs. And, yes, uh, indeed. You say standing a solid 6-0 and in conference play, man. Staring down the barrel of another conference championship appearance. Oh, my gosh. In control of our own destiny once again for the third straight season, Jared. It's really hard. It's really hard to just continue breathing this rarefied air. You know, but but here we have managed to sustain it. We've managed to sustain it, even with advancing in contra, uh, conference stature over the last season. We continue to sustain and and not even just sustain it, but do it in a more convincing fashion than we ever did it on the CUSA level. You know, you recall the the back and forths and one possession games and down to the minute, down to the wire games that UTSA a lot of times had to fight from behind in mm-hmm. to this year. UTSA, yeah, we've won six straight. We've won f- almost all of those games by two possessions, minus a rivalry game in Denton. That was a one-possession game. But we haven't had to play from behind at all. We've been in full control by several possessions going into the fourth quarter and taking care of the fourth quarter and, and winning that game. It's been an insanely dominant run that we're watching from UTSA. And uh, and yeah, this this felt like Jared. You know that second half in particular, that third quarter, felt like an exclamation point for this UTSA team. Um, 
no matter how much you might be doubting how they're playing, they seem to figure out a way, whether it's losing three games in September and now rattling off six straight or having a, a really, really not even poor, but but incomplete first half where you were getting downfield, but you just could not find the end zone. And I think what did Jared uh, Jeff what Jared what did Jeff Trailer say something about like execution is better than luck or consistence or something and they just they kept finding it second half mm-hmm. you finally found it mm-hmm. twenty one straight points by way of three touchdowns in the third quarter and they just convinced you again they just convinced the doubters again no we're fine we're in full control it's unbelievable Jared it, it's it's really really unbelievable what this team's doing here and uh, this was. This was a convincing win yet again in, in the American Athletic Conference. Yeah, I mean, even <clears throat> if the absolute worst of the worst happens and, and UTSA finishes conference play six and two, that's still, if I had a guess, going to be the best record for a program that moved up, quote unquote, to a new conference this year. Um, mm. This is really hard to do, folks. Really hard to do. I, I know we keep mentioning this, but don't take this team for granted. Don't take this era for granted, this run for granted. Uh, what we're watching is just phenomenal, man. I, and to think back at kind of how our tone was on those episodes early in the season where it was looking like, you know, this might be a re- rebuild year uh, prematurely uh, to now, you know, maybe the most impressive team on all three sides of the ball, kind of like cumulatively um, of the Jeff Trailer era. Because I think this defense is just way better um, than anything that we've seen uh, under Trailer so far. So, been awesome uh just kind of want to have that big picture perspective and that appreciation for for what we get to watch week in and week out um but you know season's not over obviously we got two tough tests um usf team is no slouch we're going to preview them and then of course mm-hmm. you get through that and you got that road trip to tulane you're playing on abc in the middle of the day everyone's uh grandparents gonna be tuned into that one watching the over the air channel it's been a fun season man i'm, I'm ready for this last couple of weeks, but I'm just, I'm really happy the way the season's played out, no matter what happens the rest of the way. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And trailers even kind of alluded to it in his pressers. He was sort of speaking of the fan base in the audience and said, I pray we don't get spoiled, but I can sense a little bit of that already. Yeah. And uh, absolutely. It is something that the team also uses, you know, the quote unquote receipts, uh, a, a, a talking point, a bulletin board point, for their for their own internal motivation but look, whatever you got to do to do that in the locker room do what you need to do but on the outside looking in from the fan perspective gosh i don't know if if a lot of utsa fans really realize how good that they have had it over the last three years and partly of that is because i think a lot of utsa fans have really sort of um i'm not gonna say hopped on the bandwagon but really sort of took notice to this team over the last three years you know you start winning games that's a natural effect of having a good ball club that wins games and has a good mm-hmm. offense to watch. You start getting more fans. You start getting people paying more attention. Yeah. If I don't you. Uh, sorry. Finish your thought. Finish your thought. If you just knew what it was like five years ago, four years ago, six years ago, rooting for this team, how abysmal it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, dude, this, this really is again, rarefied air. It just does not happen. And, and we're really, really fortunate to have it happen and, and happen so quickly. To be quite honest. Yeah, I was gonna make the same point. It's not my intention to gatekeep and to look down on on any newcomer fans. I, I I'm the complete opposite perspective of that, dude. Like if you go to one game a year, 
I'll take it. <laughs> like I'm, I'm all for right. bandwagon fans. So like we're, we're talking about the UTSA Roadrunners here, you know, not not Alabama, but um, I just wagoners. Yeah, yes. I just got off of a, a USF podcast, the Bay Area Examiner. Definitely check them out. Uh, I had a great interview with them. Great questions with those guys. Um, but I made mention of like for the people that were sick enough to be watching these awful 2018, 2019 teams. We saw the talent was there. We saw Frank Harris was going to be a guy. We saw Rashad Wisdom was going to be a guy since Sir McCormick, right? And that's not to say that like our fandom is better than yours or anything like that. But I think it's a reminder of why you stick with your favorite sports team through the downtimes. Because man, like even just having this 21 point, like 20 point win against Rice this week um, just feels so huge. Um, at, when I look back at the struggles that uh, we as a collective fan base and, and as a school and as a program went through. Um, so many years back, man, it's, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know why like this week in particular has me feeling this way, but I just, I don't know. I just, I look back at the trajectory and smile. I don't know. I think, I think I know exactly why Jared It's because we're on here, the, the precipice, the eve of Frank Harris and 20 other seniors. Yeah. yeah it's it's senior day for the, program history yeah. for yeah. the last game in the Alamo Dome, last game right. of playing in the Alamo Dome this week against South Florida. So it's, it is, it is a time to reflect, to, respect and to be appreciative of what these guys have given us um, under Jeff Trailer's tutelage over the last three seasons. Yeah. Can and, I just stop right there and, and do yeah. a PSA, dude? We we never do like attendance stuff. It's not our job to get people in the stands and, you know, sell tickets for UTSA or whatever, but I'm going to be really disappointed if we don't hit 30 K for rice this week. And I, I'm not the kind of guy that ever makes those kind of proclamations, but it's Friday 90, 80% of high schools are done with their season. So don't give me the high school football excuse. Um, if, if there's any way she can get to the Alamo Dome on Friday night for this ESPN, is it ESPN one or ESPN two this week? This is ESPN two. It's an 8 PM kickoff. Plenty of time to get off work, happy hour, yeah. dinner, tailgate, all of it, all of, all it, of man. it. Sunset uh, tailgate. It's such a spectacular event at the Alamo Dome. It's only happened a couple of times through UTSA's short football history but there is a moment where you can stand on the edge of lot c and you can see the mm -hmm. sun descending behind the tower of the americas with the Alodome on the left hand side of the view and then the damn union pacific is going by and it's <laughs> on the railroad track it is such a scene oh my it's God. beautiful it's man tear to my eye just thinking about it you got the yeah, tower man. of the americas right there Oh, the whole gorgeous. city skyline. Oh my gosh, get out of here. And that, and that nice orange, blazing orange roadrunner sky, baby. So yeah, that's the scene. That's the scene at the Alamo Dome this, this Friday. And um, not to jump too far ahead of ourselves, but but the but the Rice Owls, UTSA wins 20 points over the Rice Owls, 34 to 14, Jared. Uh, two extremely different halves for the roadrunners, which we've actually seen over the last several weeks, although it's kind of been in opposite. Um, we saw really strong first halves against UNT and ECU and uh, the second half where we kind of ran out of gas. Then this week, the opposite, we have a first half that is extremely slow, only 10 points mm -hmm. in the first half. You have a 90-yard drive that ends in a fumble. You don't score a touchdown until there's 57 seconds left in the second quarter. Um, which you give up a touchdown to Rice 35 seconds after that. And yeah, it's it's um it's a little bit of a struggle there. But then we, you know, we kind of stick with it. We have the enormous three touchdowns in the third quarter. But for for a minute there, 
Um, ah, shit, it looked like the UTSA runners, they just couldn't get into the end zone. We couldn't get that bounce. We just couldn't finish. I don't know what it was, but it, like, it wasn't our day, it almost seemed like. It, like it wasn't going to be our day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like there weren't egregious errors on the half of the UTSA offense. They weren't throwing picks. I think like the perception changes drastically if Oscar doesn't fumble there in the red zone and, and UTSA punches it in and, and goes into the half 17-0. I don't think anyone's really talking about a slow start if that were to happen. Um, or, or even if they just get a field goal there and it's 13 to zero heading into the half, I still don't think people are really mm-hmm. kind of, you know, complaining too much. Um, so I, I, I do think it's kind of fluky, at least like the score was um, that like 30 second touchdown drive for Rice felt like a fever dream. <laughs> it was just really, really nuts. Um, I still don't really understand how that happened, but I do think like Rice came in with a pretty good game plan to try to slow down the UTC offense. Um so I was at a wedding, uh, as the people that listened last week know. Um, so I watched it on my phone uh, in, you know, landscape mode, uh, really, really drunk at like 1 a.m., which is like not the ideal state to analyze a football game. Um, <laughs> so I finished it that night. And I, would, I would beg to differ. <laughs> That's the Jared you know, analytics. Like, isn't that what these guys do every week? I listen to these awful takes the, they have. These guys have no clue what they're talking about. <laughs> Completely out. Um, I don't know. I think Patreons would pay uh, top dollar for some uh, drunk Jared analytics. Yeah, I know, I know you've been pitching that one for a while. We'll we'll do it someday. Um, but then you know, I drive back to Houston and I do my film breakdown and rewatch the game. And I was like really focused on like why do UTSA score so few points in that first half and like how did it bust open in the second? And I didn't think like Rice was doing anything crazy schematically, but they were playing um, like their free safety like really far away from. Uh, the line of scrimmage, like 15, 20 yards deep in some cases. But also when they snapped the ball, like Rice's secondary was backpedaling off the snap, like almost every time. Um, mm-hmm. Probably would like to see the running backs bounce outside and maybe try to take advantage of that with like some quick pitches or something like that. But, you know, I think Rice just did a good job of keeping everything in front of them, taking away the deep bomb shot. Um, and then I think like there were some drops, there were some, you know, kind of sloppiness in the passing game that kind of prevented them from hitting those mid range and, and short pickups and uh, rice tackled. Well, I thought their cornerbacks made some really good plays on the ball. When I rewatched the game, there were a couple of throws that Frank made where I'm like, man, I feel like 80% of the time that throw is a touchdown or a, a catch. Mm. Um, and then rice's cornerback or their safety or whoever just made a good play on the ball. And, you know, it's just kind of like rice is playing well, right. They're not a bad football team. By any stretch of the right. imagination. So um I I didn't like take too much away from that first half, especially after watching it. You know, no, no real concerns on my part. Uh, but I think like two things, like going into that second half, I think first and foremost, UTSA's depth and talent just showed up. Um, just the way they have against Rice for so many years now. They just got more dudes. They have mm-hmm. those dudes that they do have, I think at a higher talent level. Than Rice, and I think it's just really hard to hold up against a full four quarters against a team that kind of has you outmanned from a physical standpoint. On top of that, I think Rice was extremely physical, which shouldn't come as a surprise if you watch them this year. They're they're a very physical bunch, um, and I think like they poked the bear, so to speak, and I think UTSA just started like returning it a little bit, and um, some yeah. you know some shots and some hits on both sides are probably uncalled for and and didn't need to happen, but. I think it just really fired up UTSA and and they just kind of kicked it up a notch and, you know, started playing a little bit meaner, a little bit tougher and uh, took the wind out of Rice's sails, so to speak. 
Yeah, but I do think you nail it. Rice really is that good of a football team, and I think that's what really this game showed. Even without starting quarterback JT Daniels out with injury, you've got A.J. Padgett. Even with a backup quarterback, Rice was still – I think it just showed how well-rounded, how complete of a ball club they are. I mean, they, they played really well in that first half. I was more impressed with Rice than anything else. Like you said, like there was a lot of flukiness that just sort of happened with UTSA working – those bounces, we yeah. weren't finding that that finish, that ending to a lot of a you know otherwise a well performing offense. Mm-hmm. You know, U- UTSA's offense actually outgains Rice by a hundred yards over the first half. You see, had two hundred forty eight yeah. yards going into halftime. Rice only one hundred forty eight. Just could not find that end zone. Yeah, it, to kind of loop back to like the discussion we had at the start of this podcast, that's like one of the things I'm most proud of. This specific 2023 UTSA team is like they've been a lot of these games where things weren't really going their way. You know, if you think about like the lack of turnover, luck injuries, other teams, just like miraculously playing their best game of football ever, you know, backups having these big breakout performances, stuff like that. Like they've had a lot of in game adversity thrown at them. Um, and they've done a really good job of responding to that and, you know, staying, you know, within their lane and playing their own version of football. And I, that's one thing I'm really going to remember about this team as we head into the end of the year, just the resiliency they showed, um, for a, a, you know many different causes and many different games, they're just like a tough bunch, and and they play championship football. Well, Jared, I didn't, and man, I, I wasn't going to go here yet, but I did want to go here to a certain point. So, you know, to to echo what you're saying and to piggyback off of that, how many games was UTSA just not having their day over the last two seasons? You know, they showed up, and really everything's been firing for this team, aside from going to Denton in 2021 spoiling an undefeated season, you know, UTSA showed up and things were working for them. The only difference was things were also working for the other team. Thus, you got into these back and forth contests, one possession games, UTSA is pulling it out in walk-off fashion, dramatic fashion. But this team being in so much control, I mean, is is this the most complete team that we've ever had under the Jeff Trailer era? Because it seems like this offense – it's more multidimensional than we've been in the mm-hmm. past. You know, it was either Sincere's or Frank's team that mm-hmm. sort of led things. This offense can kind of do either or. And is this the best defense we've ever had, right? You know, I, I mean, this is a defense that was a bend-don't-break last season. But look at the scoring margin that we've had through the A, uh, the winning margin that we've had through the AAC. Mm-hmm. All two yeah. possession wins, nothing going down to the wire. That's a great point, Adrian. I was listening to our friends the Blazer Victory podcast while I was cooking dinner this evening and they lost really bad to Navy. And uh, I guess uh, in the preseason, Trent Dilfer had said, we have to be a team that can win with multiple identities from week to week. And, mm. you know, John and, and the guys over there were just like, UAB just right now can't do that. Like they're not ready. They're not equipped. They're not deep enough. They don't have the experience. And I'm like, damn, like we've kind of taken that for granted at UTSA where we can go one week and some teams loading up the box on defense and, They've got some game breaker wide receiver and UTSA has to have a completely different game plan from week to week. And, uh, and then vice versa, you know, you come out the next week and, you know, they're not putting many guys in the box They're they're, you know, daring them to run into it. They're taking away the pass game or whatever, whatever it might be, but UTSA, and, and this is a big credit to the kids and the coaching staff is UTSA is always able to bring a solid game plan in and to make an adjustment. I think this season more than others in the past, right? I think the end game right. coaching has been a little bit better. The adjustments have been quicker. I definitely give a lot of credit to Justin Burke on that, um, which I, I've been a pretty big critic of Burke. Or sorry, um, I meant to say Jess Lepp. 
on, on the defensive just side like, of the ball. Yeah, it's just like, there's been so many miscommunication errors in that secondary and stuff, but I really think they've come a long way this year on defense. I mean, I definitely agree with you. I think they're the best, most well-rounded team we've seen. I, I don't think like the offense is at that same pinnacle that we saw over the last two years, but I think the defense is quite a bit better. And that's why it keeps this game steady. Uh, sorry, this team steady, rather. Um, because like we saw against Rice, you know, the offense wasn't scoring points, but like there was no real cause for panic or concern because that defense was keeping them in it. It was playing so well. Right. That's right. And to that point, Jared, uh, Jess Flepp was named as a Broyles Award nominee for college football's top assistant coach just today that was yep. released. So I, I think he got one in like right. 2020 or 2021 that like, <laughs> I was like, I don't know, man. Uh, yeah. But this one is definitely earned. I, I I give a huge amount of credit to to Coach Lepp and the job he's done. I've been really happy with that defense for sure. But 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 that's absolutely the truth. Is that this team has showed an incredible ability to react, to change, to adjust, right? And and to read what what the other team is giving them really well, and and be able to do things to exploit that. And we've seen it happen. Not just, you know, during week prep, but in game, we've seen it change from quarter to quarter, I think better than we've seen it over the last two seasons on that point. If I were to show you um, Frank Harris's stat line for the past two weeks and like not tell you what opponent they played, what the bot or what the score was or anything like that, and I just showed you what Frank passed for and what his breakdown was, you would think the last two games have been losses, but they were easy, convincing wins. And I think that says a lot about how complete this team is and their ability to adapt to the challenges that are presented to them. That's right. That's right. And I guess the other question in this whole entire spiel is, you know, how does the 2023 strength of schedule match up with a 2021 and the 2022 strength of schedule? That's right. Question. Yeah. And maybe that's a conversation for another day, but I think everything else that we've just alluded to all still remains right. In fact, and, and the other part of it is, how experienced late and how senior late this team is, they're able to make those adjustments and changes a lot quicker on the fly. Cause they've seen so many situations now. They've had so many snaps. Sure. Whereas with the younger guys, you know, that's always sort of like the fatal flaw with a lot of the younger guys, not being able to make those changes, not being able to react mm -hmm. quite as quickly as maybe they need to in order to win a ball game. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, you talk about Frank Harris's style line, not jumping off the page, but Jared, even with Kavorian Barnes out, Rocco Griffin and Robert Henry, 144 yards rushing on 31 carries, each of them getting a 20-plus yard big run. Rocco Griffin himself averages 6.8 yards per carry. Uh, really salty day, man. Really salty day from the UTSA running backs. Yeah, they played really well, and and I'm just – that unit is so impressive. All three of those guys could start at a lot of schools in this conference, much less the rest of the group of five, man. Impressive stuff. I mean, can you imagine – if I told you like in March or April of this year that UTSA was going to miss Keyboard Barnes and put up a rushing attack like they did this past week, you wouldn't believe me. No chance. I mean, like we all expected coming into the season that it was going to be Barnes or bust. Right. And that and obviously last week showed that it's not the case. Like this is a really, really deep, strong unit. Um, and, you know, shout out to Brandon High, too. Like, anytime Brandon High has got touches this year, he's run for four plus a carry. So they're set up for oh, the yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of involvement coming out of the backfield. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's been cool to see is, like, the trust growing in those. I mean, because they proved, they proved it really early in the season that they could carry the torch, any one of those three mm -hmm. guys. Mm -hmm. 
And I love to see that the staff has slowly but surely given them more and more and more all year long. And now here you are late in November or, or late in the season, getting into November. You got your number one guy who Jeff even said he could have played, but we chose not to. No, no, no. You had the luxury not yeah. to. I mean, this is like <laughs> Greg Popovich with the Spurs. We're going to rest our starters for uh -huh. the two lane game for a potential conference uh -huh. championship and a bowl pit. Like this, it was a tremendous luxury to do because you have so <laughs> much talent in that running back room. You can sit Kavoria Barnes, baby. It's all good. Did not play load management. Come on, dude. Yeah, that's hey, exactly and what also, saw, man, man. That was load management. And to give more credit to these three guys that all deserve it, I'm not saying this to bash or criticize the offensive line because they've had a ton of injuries. Almost every guy in that offensive line is not playing the position that they thought they were going to play this year. They're, they're not in the role that they thought they'd be in this year. Um, they haven't been like an elite run blocking unit. It's not like, you know, like sometimes you, you watch like an old school Wisconsin game and they're blowing the defensive line, like five yards off the line of scrimmage as soon as the ball snapped. We get some plays like that where there's some really good blocks and some huge holes that open up and, and the running backs take advantage of it. But a lot of the nice big runs that we've seen from these running backs, there's not much there. And they're patient. No. They have good vision. They fight through contact. They get extra yardage. Um, so that's a huge credit to those guys. And, and also to think, like, how much better these guys could be producing if the offensive line was healthier, um, if they didn't go through all the shuffling earlier in the year. You know, all that kind of stuff, man. So it was just really impressive stuff. Sophisticated running is what you're saying, Jared. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so UTS defense, all in all, you know, the starters really only give up one single touchdown to Rice's offense. There's the, another touchdown scored in garbage time with like mm -hmm. a minute left in the fourth quarter. And most of the time, most of the defense is composed of backups by that point. Now, most of the offense, too, which you did get to get your starters some fourth quarter rest. But, Jared, you know, to, to go to that sequence that happened after after the half. It's 10 to seven after Rice's, you know, 35 second answer. And they get the ball back. UTSA's defense, you know, we we're just talking about giving them so much credit. They come out right away when UTSA fan is kind of on the edge of their seat and have a, a three and out. They deliver a three and out stop to Rice. UTSA gets the ball back. We have a nice long nine play drive. Then we have Chris Carpenter's punt return touchdown and then we have another good five play drive downfield to follow that but chris carpenter has an enormous mistake against the north texas uh in the north texas game where there's a bouncing punt that he touches the ball on and thankfully lands on to recover what became a fumble on just a total mental lapse of rain fart and um to come back the very next week and to take one to the house that was a really impressive result. I, I love uh, it. I, I, love I think that he muffed a punt before he returned one as well, but it went out of bounds. So they didn't, right. they didn't lose that one. Right. I, right. I want to say, time. I want to say Greg Luca asked Jeff a question. Like, did you consider changing punter Turner? Because at that point, Carpenter had muffed two punts in, in two weeks. Right. And that's like Car right. the Cardinal sin. Right. Um, and then he was like, well, no, because the other guy was in the hospital, you know, with the McCoy took that hit and, Hopefully just a stinger, you know, is just super relieved to see that he's doing well. And it's, it seems to be nothing serious. Um, hope to yeah. see him back soon. But um, he was like, I, I stick with my guys when they mess up for better or worse. And as a fan, it's like, ah, you know, like 
what's he doing out there? Uh, then you see moments like that. And it just goes to show that having faith in your players is and in, in many cases, the right perspective to have. And I think what's tough as a coach is like yeah. knowing when to pull that string, right. Of like, this is just a mental right. thing. You're going to work through it versus like this person's not fit for that, for that role. Um, and I think Jeff's got his finger on the pulse of that pretty well. Trust in the system, trust in the system, trust in your guys, faith in your guys. And that was a team has been built off of, but it was, it was a great, great moment for Chris Carpenter to get that back and uh, absolve his wrongs from prior to that. So, so first player in program history to return both a kick and a punt for a touchdown. That's a future Alma audible trivia night question. Write it down. That's amazing. Write it down. That's amazing. What about Jared? You know, Chris Carpenter still not really getting involved, however, in the in the receiving game, in the passing game. You know, you, yeah. you just kind of stick with him as a kick return specialist. I mean, you're kind of short at the receiver position. What do you think is going on there? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think it's probably mental stuff. I mean, if you think back to the bowl game last year, he was getting open so much and just dropping a lot of passes. There were somewhere seemed like he didn't run the route that Frank was expecting and, and stuff like that. So hopefully as he continues to mature and grow as a player that the light comes on there. Um, there've been players in the past. Greg Campbell's one example where mm. super athletic, he made a big impact on special teams, but it wasn't until his senior year that he put it together as receiver. Um, and then I think at that point in time, he set like this single season reception yard record his senior year. Um, so I wouldn't give up um, faith in Carpenter. He's still a very special athlete um, and hopefully gets coached up. Uh, keep in mind that that big three and Devin McEwen now take up a lot of snaps, right? So um, I think that maybe slows down development a little bit, but we'll see. I mean, if Willie McCoy is out, you know, this week or the rest of the season, whatever it might be, I think Chris Carpenter got some more looks there for sure. Mm. Yeah. But other special team plays to shout out, man. Some weird stuff went down in the second half on special teams. Uh, they put Tate Sandell in to attempt a 47-yard field goal, and he nailed it. So that was great to see that there's still a reliable option there if Chase Allen isn't able to go. Uh, but probably the thing that was the craziest was <laughs> they did uh, a play that I've never seen in all of my years of watching football. They had mm. the holder and the kicker swap positions like a motion, and then Lucas Dean goes from the holder to the kicker, and then he does like a quib squib kick punt that totally caught Rice off guard and, and pinned him deep. That was really, really cool. Wild, super, super elaborate stuff. Who who drew that up? Jared, doesn't UTSA not have a special teams coordinator? I've got Lucas drew it up himself, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've I've heard from people that was that, an Aussie uh, that was an Aussie rules play right there. Yeah, I I've heard from people that Lucas like draws up a lot of fake punts and stuff and you know, I, anytime they get a chance for him to do one of those mad scientist plays, I support that, especially in a game where there's like, you know, no more stakes at that point in time. The game is decided. I love it. Well, I love the thought of Lucas Dean, who kicked without a special teams coordinator, then eventually becoming UTSA special teams coordinator. <laughs> He's a player, player coach. Yeah. Crazy playbook. Oh, my gosh. I love um, that. Adrian, I feel like we haven't given enough discussion to this defensive front for UTSA. Uh, six sacks of the game, 10 tackles for loss, Sheesh. forced two fumbles. Trey Moore is a sack away from the single season sack record for the American Athletic Conference. Might play in. With two games to play. With two games to play. Two more games guaranteed. Unbelievable. 
Yeah, it's absolutely nuts, man. What a menace. That hit he had on Patchett where he just uh, kind of came unblocked and just kind of shoulder checked him and sent him flying. I was ice cold, dude. It's kind of a total stud. Wow. Oh my gosh, man. Yeah. I thought, yeah, I thought the uh, guys uh thought the guys on the sorry to cut you off. I thought the guys in the interior played really well as well. Nick Booker Brown was in there a lot. Uh Brandon mm-hmm. Brown oh was dominant. Brandon Matterson had a huge play. It's exciting, dude. It was a big day. So UTSA created havoc plays uh, 18% of the time. Yep. Um against Rice, against a, a really <clears throat> I mean, I'm sorry, with a really just strong showing kind of from, like you're saying, all around. You know, you talk about all the names on that front for UTSA. I mean, all those guys really kind of feasted. Again, we see an American Athletic Conference quarterback, like, pummeled. Um, and this time it does show up on the on the sack list as well. And, mm-hmm. you know, A.J. Padgett doesn't throw any uh, interceptions. All in all, he kind of had a respectable stat line. He had a yeah, respectable he, game. I he think. was not the reason why Rice lost that game. I mean, I, I think obviously having JT Daniels is a huge boost, and that helps a lot. But um, I, I thought he played totally respectably, especially Actually, for I mean, how well the defense played. Yeah, for against a and against an absolutely menacing defense, pass rush defense mm-hmm. that UTSA has been throughout conference all season long. This guy goes 17 for 28, 182 yards, two touchdowns, no INTs, stood there and, you know, delivered the ball, took his shots. Yeah, I think he played really, really respectable, man. Some of those shots were probably his fault. I think he did hold, hang on to the ball too long. Um, sure. Bloom, Bloomgren did kind of hint at that criticism in his uh, post-game press conference, which was kind of interesting. Um, but I think given the situation, man, just totally outmatched in the trenches. You know, you've been, he's been hurt most of the year. He just came back from injury. Hasn't had a chance to develop chemistry with, you know, this this team too much this year. I was pretty impressed with what he did. Mm. Absolutely. Well, I, um, I guess to wrap this game up, you know, UTSA was able to get to such a sizable lead that they pretty much cleared the bench in that fourth quarter. Um, yeah. Had second, third, even fourth string in, I think, at some point in time. And even with that, they only lost the fourth quarter seven to three. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Did anyone really catch your eye? Not necessarily. No, I will. I mean, it didn't seem like the offense was allowed to do too, too much. Yeah. They're super vanilla. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I was a little bit disappointed in that. That that, that would actually be my, my commentary from, from having the backups in. Yeah, I agree. No one necessarily caught my eye either. Um, I thought Kajic had a really nice run. Um, yeah, he had a 10-yard one. He looked pretty nimble on that, which was good to see. Um, Owen like intentionally threw for a PI at one point in time, which was nice. It was not a completion, but I think he knew that they were going to get a flag on that one, which that's a Frank Harris play right there. So that was cool to see. Um, and then I thought like there was some good blocking from the tight ends in mop-up time. Great to see mm-hmm. Dan Dishman back out there working, getting around. Uh, really good really to good see shots from, from Dan Dishman. From all those guys. Yeah. 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 I mean, look, you're up 31 to seven against Rice. I mean, I feel like they could have let it go a little bit more with those backups in the in the fourth quarter. They had yeah. they had a lot of minutes to be out there. You know, I think the backup offense plays four, four drives, three or four drives. I'll say four. I mean, 
Yeah, I think I think they could have let Owen do a little bit more than Daniel. He only threw three passes. So to wrap things up with Bryce, I'm uh, sorry this is not on our our script and our notes, um, but I think it's worth bringing up. We've seen a lot of Bryce football, a lot uh, more than most programs in, in the modern era, and we've seen a lot of Mike Bloomgren. If uh, Rice wins the next U, Charlotte and FAU, which I think they could do, I think they've got a good chance there. They get FAU so at home. They, so can, they can hit six wins and, and go to a bowl. Um, mm-hmm. If they win one of them, they're probably going to get into a bowl with their APR score, which I think would be the second year, maybe third year in a row that they've done that. Rice is the new athletic director. He's a football guy. Their new school president is big on athletics. Yeah. Do you think they should fire Mike Bloomgren at the end of the year? You know, it'd be sad to see, especially if they were able to get bowl eligibility and go play a respectable bowl game. He's really built this entire thing to what it is. And he finally got a roster that was capable of winning. And they won games and they were really, really competitive in the games that they lost. I would love for Bloomgren to have another chance with this roster, you know, to get one more season with this roster based off of how much better they were this season. I think he's kind of earned one more season, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, I mean, you're teetering, you're teetering on taking a big step forward here. Yep. But it also seems like it's a really, really critical decision to make on whether or not you take that step forward. And this guy's showing that he's, kind of crawled and now taking those steps. I think you give Bloomgren one more season, if you ask me. It is so it's so rare to see a head coach get a little bit better every single year for like six years straight. <laughs> like it just doesn't <laughs> yes. happen a lot in college football. Yeah. Uh but I think they made a big step this year and I don't think that their record shows that because I do think their strength of schedule was was fairly tough. Um you know they got Tulane SMU UTSA three weeks back to back dropping UConn was unacceptable. Um, but I do think that this is a good team made good strides. I also think that Bloomgren's recruiting last year, like this most recent class was uh, the best he's had at rice by far. Um, and I do think it would be a bit of a shame to see that recruiting improve um, and then not get a chance really to, uh, to make the most of that on the field. Yeah. So, you know, I think if it was uh, Tommy McClendon, the new yeah. AD there, I'd give him one more year, but I would, if there was a candidate that I knew that I could get right now, like a GJ Kinney or someone like that, Ooh. I'd probably pull the trigger. But if I don't, if I don't know what the market is like for me and I don't know what's out there, I'm going to keep them on ice for a year. Well, Jared, speaking of coaching rumors, speaking of coaching rumors, Texas A&M over there in East Texas. <laughs> Fires head coach Jimbo Fisher. And one of the very first names to be tossed into the conversation as far as Jimbo's replacement is, of course, none other than the man himself, Jeff Trailer. Jared, is uh, is Jeff Trailer going to go be the next Texas A&M Aggie football head coach? I don't think he would. Um, my perspective on this is the Aggies would have to get turned down by a lot of people and have some ridiculous offers. 
excuse me, get uh, turned down before they look towards Jeff. And I think that's a mistake on the Aggies part. I mean, I really think Jeff would be a great hire for them. Oh my God. Their fan base would just lose their mind over Jeff trailer. Could you imagine <laughs> Jeff trailer at midnight yell? Gosh, man. Palling around with the yell eaters. They'd eat it up, man. They'd be eating out of his hand. But I mean, I, Jeff trailer in the, in the in the in the blazer and jeans gosh does he still call it the san antonio tuxedo i mean so, that is so and aggie they would just be oh i know man. that stuff i know up, man I oh know. my he is mystery sexist the man has a high school football stadium in east texas named after him um that's a, I, I think yeah i think you're right that he would be great for the job and i also think you're right that i don't think a&m wants a G five higher. Yeah, of, you don't you don't pay a seventy five million dollar buyout to go get a G five coach that hasn't won a bowl game, hasn't mm. you know had had any ranked wins. I mean, there's a lot that I think would give me pause if I was a uh, AM oil billionaire. Um, I guess there's not many things in this world that would give me much concern if I was an A and M oil billionaire, other than the state of my football program. Hundred percent, hundred percent, yeah. Nice. Um, so what I'm more concerned about though, what I'm more concerned about is like Jeff sees the opportunity, feels like he's earned it. He has, he has right. Uh, 15 years ago, this deal would be done already. Like if he had this level of success at UTSA as college football was 15 years ago, wouldn't even be a debate. The deal would be done. He would go straight to NM, but game of college football has changed so much. And these stratospheres between divisions has increased so much that, um, I mean, I don't, I don't know how often we're going to see G5 coaches go to blue bloods anymore. I mean, look, look at Florida as an example, you know, Billy Napier was so patient at Louisiana Lafayette, biding his time, turning down a lot of like low level SEC jobs to then go take the Florida job. And it's, he's, he's failed pretty bad. Um, yeah. A lot, a lot yeah. of questions from a lot of Florida fans and, and media people. Can a G5 coach really run a modern, um, college football enterprise i'm gonna call it an enterprise because it's not a program at this point where you're doing more nil stuff and more transfer portal stuff than coaching football i mean it's always been the case where you go to these big schools and you become a ceo uh but it's just even more so now i i don't i don't have any concern with jeff doing that it's just convincing the big money people that he's ready for that step i think it's going to be a challenge um so to to get back to the point i was trying to make though is I think Jeff feels like he's earned this, that he could do it. He doesn't get it. He gets passed over. And then he's like, well, hell, I really wanted that job. I really want the UT job. I'm on the precipice of winning my third conference championship here, moved into a new conference, have done all this stuff at UTSA, still can't get these opportunities. What's it going to take? And the answer to that is it's going to take him going to Baylor, to Houston, to Arkansas, somewhere like that, proving his medal at the power five level. And then he gets that dream job that he probably really covets. Um, so my takeaway, watch out for Baylor. <laughs> you need a stair step before you go to, to the full fledged blue blood. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, cause keep in mind, there's no power five anymore. This is a power two now. Right. And if you're in the power two, I think it's hard to hire a G five coach at this point in time when you can go get any coach from the, the M three, the middle three, I guess I'll call them. <laughs> I just coined that. Do you think that'd stick? I don't know. I think it could stick. Yeah, M3 sounds cool. 
It sounds cool. I could see like yeah. a hashtag for it, a logo for it. What's your perspective on on the situation? Are you kind of in line with my thinking? Or well, look, I, I think you've got a a really really good stance because for Blue Blood A and M to pay an extreme amount of money. I mean, you're talking $75 million just to buy out, not even to pay for your next head coach, just to buy out the current. Yeah. It's uh, it's going to be a hundred million dollar transition for AM because they got to buy out assistants that don't get retained that are on big contracts. They got to, if there's a buyout for the next coach, they got to buy that out. And then they take on, you know, whatever salary increase the next head coach is going to get increase for staff pay on the next one. Uh, that money's really going to add up. It's going to be a massive, massive event. One of the biggest economic events in the state of Texas this year, probably. Oh, 100%. God, I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> we got kids so, racking up thousands of dollars in school debt. And this is going on. I mean, man. look, I think, I think, and I think that's the big argument is, is that you have to have is as Jeff trailer earned that job. Yeah, he's had an unbelievable run dominating his conference competition in the American Athletic Conference and Conference USA, AC so far at least. But he has not won a bowl game. And he hasn't actually like, I don't know, the Memphis win, the Illinois wins. Those were big, but that, that doesn't move the needle for that's what I mean. It, where where's yeah. the move the needle win that was really like unprecedented? Right. Right. And um you haven't seen him win with his own recruits yet. Not at uh, I'd push back on that one a little bit. Okay, sure. I, I think that seen... he hasn't won without Frank Harris is maybe a better way to say it. That's the right way to say it. That's the right way to yeah. say it. He's had his guys come in. He's had playmakers come in that have been his own recruits. He hasn't had that leader, that quarterback leader come in that was his own recruit and, and prove that he's won with that. Mm-hmm. He hasn't had the... And had the need to. He hasn't had the opportunity to quite yet. Right, right. You, you can't um, hold it against a guy for an opportunity that he didn't Correct. have to actually face. You know, does that make sense? Like, Correct. Yeah, it absolutely does. But you it, can't but, disprove but, something that hasn't happened. But you can also take that as an unproven and, and have your question marks about it um, while you're evaluating a guy. And so I think no bowl wins, no marquee unprecedented win makes it real hard and then you know a loss to an army team a loss to a, a, a huge two losses to a Dude, those, are, those are bad losses adrian army lost to ulm and umass this year <laughs> they're a really bad team and really they can't and smack utsa on national television at home and houston and houston lost to to a rice team yep i mean that wasn't a very quality loss either no so whenever i'm looking at it from big wig you know a&M oil money and even A&M's front office I'm looking at okay this guy dominated the weakest G5 conference two years in a row great CUSA but again that doesn't move the needle and if he does in the AC that's a little bit better than doing it at CUSA but it doesn't mean you can go spearhead an SEC program so I think you got to have the argument is is Jeff Trailer, you know, proving himself worthy of earning earning that A and M job. I think it's an argument you can have either way. I think I think he's proven himself at this level, but maybe you do need that segue that Baylor that how you could argue that the Texas Tech job that he turned down two years ago would have been mm-hmm. sort of that intermediary program that you got to do it at. But prove you can do it at the uh, P five level. Yeah, 
Sure. Yeah, I think I think AM has a hard time selling themselves on Jeff Trailer right now. If you think back to when Tom Herman made the jump from Houston to Texas, go back and look at the programs and the ranked opponents that Tom was beating at that point in time. Um, that resume is a lot more impressive than Jeff's is. And I think like uh and AM really scoffs at like a a U of H, right? And he couldn't beat them. And 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 uh, hell, at one point, Kevin Sumlin went from Houston to Texas AM. You could argue, Jared, this is like a counterpoint to all this, mm-hmm. that Kevin Sumlin's era at AM was probably AM's best in the SEC. They had Johnny Football in that time. It, too. it was the best of our lifetime. We're we're both in our <laughs> early 30s. Kevin Sumlin's AM program is the best that we've ever seen. That would be an absolute parallel to them going and getting a Jeff trailer from UTSA. So if it worked with mm-hmm. Kevin Sumlin coming from Houston, which I yeah, think but, he was on the AM staff before see, he was see that that's but, that's the rub of it right there. Is the Aggies won't tell you that Kevin Sumlin was successful. And that's why they're right. not gonna hire Jeff Trailer. Right. But he was a lot more successful than Jimbo Fisher was. Right. But that's not their logic, dude. They're not rational. It's just like my tweet the other day. In a rational Aggie world, I'd be very worried about Trailer taking the AM job, but they're not rational, man. They're not going to do the right thing. They're going to do the thing that strokes their ego the most, and it's not going to be hiring UTSA's coach. I'm it's worried not going to be hiring UTSA's coach. Effect. That is not that is not a big enough splash in the headline machine. No, to get to get that no. Aggie fans going, absolutely yeah. not. Yeah, no, they need a huge star home run sort of hire. Yeah, that's what they want. Yeah, but we will continue to monitor the situation. There's gonna be a lot more movement. Strap in, folks. Maybe a bumpy ride. But Indeed. I'm excited, man. I'm excited to see what happens. You know, at this point in time, dude, you just got it. If Jeff chooses to leave, you got to be happy for him, man. He came here, changed not only this program forever, but this university, I would argue, this city forever. And uh, no matter, you know, unless he goes out in a really bad way, which I can't imagine, uh, he's always a roadrunner in my book. And, you know, it's got to be appreciate, appreciative of that. I wish him the best. Always, always will be. Always will be. Look, love, love you, Jeff. Uh, love Jeff Trailer. It's just been fantastic here, and 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 that's the other part of it too, Jared. And I hate to to linger on this, but I do think that Jeff Trailer can go be a head coach at that level, at the top of a, of of mm-hmm. an SEC. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if he can, and I don't know if that he cares to or wants to be the CEO of an SEC football team, be the manager of an SEC football team, and I don't know if he wants everything else that comes with it. I feel like. Jeff Trailer in San Antonio, UTSA, really is a match made in heaven. It's about as much extracurricular activity outside of just being a head football coach that he probably cares to deal with. I I have to laugh. Um, I see a lot of people make this argument that, oh, well, Jeff can just go to one of these programs that has resources, and then he doesn't have to deal with the things that seem to annoy him the most about the UTSA job. And uh, that would be a nice world that we live in, but that's the complete opposite of what would happen <laughs> if, if you were to go to one of those schools. The rat race is only nastier, dirtier, uh, bigger, more political, um, more money involved. Um, it is not going to be a case where he goes to AM and he gets to just coach football. It's the exact opposite. He does even more politicking, even more fundraising, even more NIL, uh, you know, third party negotiation or whatever. Um, so, yeah, that's not be the case. In fact, I would argue that for most jobs, UTSA is probably in a better spot, like end to end compared to the conference opponents. And like their regional peers when it comes to what they have to work with um, yeah. than anywhere that he would go. So 
Keep that in mind. Ugh. And but does does Jeff think that same way though? I think is what's an interesting interesting question. I'll, I'll, I'll catch him for a sweet tea sometime and, and see what his thoughts are on that. I would like to know as well. Yeah. Because yeah. <sighs> keep in mind, man, even Nick Saban was saying he was crying poor. They were losing recruits to Jimbo. It happens and, and everywhere. Probably, you, you can't get away from it. And dude, and it's probably a hard probably a hard question for a head coach to be honest with himself about too. Because yeah. he wants to be at that highest level, right? Mm-hmm. And then whenever he thinks about everything that comes with it, in his heart of heart, he probably knows he doesn't care to deal with all that stuff. Yeah. That's, why I, stayed, that's why I stayed at Gilmer for so long. I, I'll always make that argument. That's why he turned down those five-A jobs because he was comfortable and happy and successful in Gilmer. And he knew Nothing that if he wrong went to that. DeSoto or Capel or whatever, that he was going to be dealing with boosters and parents and all that so much more. If it ain't broke, don't break it. You can be the king of your castle. You don't need to go. <laughs> it can be paid really well, too. Of some other land and some far yeah. flung, you know, place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could be the king of your castle right here, bro. You know, absolutely. Yeah. We'll, we'll see well, what happens for pitch. sure. Pitch, we've been yeah. trying to, we, yeah, we've been yeah. trying to hire the guy. Now we're pitching <laughs> him to stay, you know. Oh, how wouldn't that be something if we get on the record that AM offers him and he turns it down to say, TSA? Oh my God. <laughs> oh my gosh, dude. Yeah, uh, I'm down to go. I don't want to give you a false hope. That's, I shouldn't even say that. That's irresponsible of me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been happy with how the fan base has, has treated the situation, though, um, which I didn't expect to say. We'll see what happens, you know, once the inevitable or maybe inevitable happens and he does leave and, and how people react. Mm. We'll see. Mm. All right, I'm going to hard transition us off. I'm not going to give either of us an opportunity to talk about this anymore. <laughs> I want to say thank you to our donors, our board of trustees, uh, for giving us the resources that we need to compete at a high level in this uh, podcast world and make sure we're giving you guys a good product and, uh, you know, up there amongst the greats of the G5 football media landscape. Um, and this week, you guys were treated to a premium episode of Around the Birdbath, where our host, Dan Erdahl, had Karan Patel on for a Where Are They Now episode. Karan has an awesome story, man. I was just like really proud that, uh, you know, we share the same alma mater, to be honest with you. He had a great senior season at UTSA, parlayed that into being tra- drafted in the MLB draft. He was actually the first Indian American or baseball player of any Indian descent to be selected into the MLB draft, which is super cool. Uh, That is not his only claim to fame or his claim to history. He was also the first overall draft pick in Baseball United, which is a new baseball league that is starting up, I think, next year. That's going to bring baseball to the Middle East and South Asia. Um, So really cool to get his perspective and and hear a little bit about his story. Um, Proud of the the editing we did on that episode as well. Sounds great. Uh, We had to pull some strings to get some bonus audio effects in there. So it's really cool. Definitely check it out. Um, so on that note, thank you to our board of trustees members, Digitique, John Alwell, Lino Perez of Los Dos Rally Tailgating, Gary and Rupin representing the UTSA Bird Gang Tailgate, Ray Redding and Meet Me Apparel, Brandon Grill and the Grill Realty Group, Andy Elizada at Provision and Benefit Solutions, Ian McClendon and Secret LLC, Brandon Patron, Ryan Squares, Waterman Construction, Javon Townsend, the VP of the DFW Chapter of the UTSA Alumni Association, and UTSA Annual Giving. Thank you guys all so much. We're going to hit a quick Kumbu break and then we're going to have to speed run through our USF preview, unfortunately. So we spent a lot of time on uh, coaching rumors.
but that's all right, man. That's what we're here for. And then I think people like that more than just a general game breakdown. What do you say? For sure. Absolutely. Right. We'll be back in just a second. Uh, go grab yourself a drink. Get loose with this cumbia. And we'll be back to preview the USF Bulls. Adrian, first meeting between the UTSA Roadrunners and the USF Bulls. I've seen some people call this the Riverwalk rivalry. Mm. It's close. It's close. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's you know, let's slow down on the whole. Let's just let's just let's see how this matchup sort of goes and 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 develops itself after a couple of games before we just start. Proclaiming USF as a rivalry oh, match of godly, just because some two or three Twitter accounts were beefing with each other all season long. No, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kind of against that. I'm against just like throwing around pageantry around a matchup that we have never even had yet before. But uh-huh. I hope for it to be. I hope for it to be a good competitive matchup here in the AAC. Um, USF is a no cakewalk. And nope. this, this is a team that's that's competed really, really good. Hell, they're a lot better than the ECU Pirates team that you could argue gave UTSA a bit of a hard time for a stretch of that game in the Alamo Dome. This is a good football team. They're going to be competitive, and, and they're not going to come over here and lay down. Uh, so, yeah, UTSA's got to go in there and take business, take care of business against USF Bulls. You've got senior night, the last game for Frank Harris and 20 other seniors in the Alamo Dome, a place where they won back-to-back conference championships. It's a really, really special game, man. It's a absolutely very special game. I hope you're right on the 30K number, but guys are going to go in there. We're going to take care of business against against USF Bulls team that, yes, is respectable, but no, man, there's there's just too much, too much greatness in that room, you know, that's got to be celebrated one last time in the Alamo Dome for UTSA. Yeah, I'm I'm feeling the same way for the most part. One thing I'll point about USF, though, is they're very inconsistent. I think most people have probably noticed that about them. Um, they have some games that they look like they're going to be a future AAC champion contender. Um, and they have some games where they look almost as bad as they did, you know, before they fired their last coach. But if you really go game by game and their best performances tend to come against the better competition that they play. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's, you know, their game plan just translates better or they play up to competition, whatever it may be. Um, but I would be cautious with looking into that 20-point spread or 16-point spread, whatever it is right now, um, and thinking that this is going to be an easy game. Because I think if you look at the athletes on this USF roster, and it shows on film as well, they've got some studs, man. They really, really do. Um, quarterback, super electric, freshman. Um, is it Brandon Bynum? No. Yes. No. Byron Brown. Byron Brown. Byron Brown. Byron Brown, he's um he's done really well. He's done really well throwing the football, man. Um over 2,500 yards on the season. He's asked to draw back a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, he kind of kind of pilots their entire offense. 18 yeah, touchdowns, they, they just put a lot on his shoulders for sure. Yeah, they put a lot on his on his shoulders. 
18 touchdowns, just eight interceptions. You know, he's he's been pretty good with taking care of the football. He's done really good with leading this offense. Um, you know, they're 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 a 30-point per game offense, does a really good job of keeping them competitive against, like you said, Jared, you know, kind of the upper echelon of of conference competition that they've had on their schedule. Yeah, and he's a dual threat too. I mean, he can really take off and run. He's got a really like elegant stride to him when he takes off and runs like um he oh man i I hate to make these like lofty comparisons this is such a frank wilson move uh but he's got a little vince young in him when he takes off and runs so he is like it looks so effortless and he like covers so much more ground than you realize when you see him running um it's kind of cool to watch he's a he's a special athlete he's been a great player in this conference uh for a really long time i think he's like the only a only a yeah, only freshman, freshman, Jared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think and, he's a perfect fit um, for head coach Alex Golish's offense. So for those that don't know, Golish was the really offensive coordinator at uh, Tennessee last year. And UT fans saw that same offense up close and personal. What he's running at USF is very similar to what we saw from Tennessee this past year, just at the G5 level. Um, really, really super widespread uh, splits. Uh, they really try to stretch that defense out to where you can't really hide a player um and you've got to kind of show your hand so to speak and they're gonna they're gonna let it rip dude they're gonna they love to throw downfield they're i don't have this stat but i feel like they're probably pretty high and and three and outs because they're not afraid to throw the ball deep three times and you know if it doesn't work out next possession you know we're, we're gonna hit on the one uh they're right. they love to take risk they've got a lot of speed and um they're just they're liable to take one to the house at any time Byron Brown also also multi-dimensional dude. He's a dual threat quarterback. He's the second yeah. leading rusher on the team. Yeah. 65 yards per game with his feet. Mm-hmm. Um taking off whenever he sees the green grass, he's taking off for it. Yeah. And uh yeah, I mean, you, you kind of gotta really, really be careful to contain Byron Brown, which is this UTSA pass rush has done a great job of doing. Um, but yeah, he's gonna be, I think, more one of the more dynamic quarterbacks mm-hmm. that UTSA has had to face and maybe more elusive in that regard. You know, we've seen a lot of guys that stand in the pocket and have thrown good balls despite getting knocked down. Byron Brown might be a guy that's actually able to escape a little bit of the pass rush, extend plays with his feet and uh, a little bit different than what we've seen so far. Yeah, the big, big picture thing on this um, offense that you're going to hear people talk about this week is that they have the fastest tempo in all of college football. Or I guess to mm. be specific, uh, they run the most plays per game, right? Okay. Um, I was watching um their game against Temple today, and usually when I'm watching a game on like a YouTube recording, I watch a play. Uh, I do the fast forward 15 seconds, and I watch the next play. And it usually works pretty well, where I can see the pre-stat motion, I can see the substitutions, but there's like I'm missing some downtime between plays. With USF, when I was clicking that button, the ball was snapped. <laughs> like they were going so fast, and it was crazy. Um. So I think that that will probably give some people cause for concern because it's always scary to hear about an offense that goes that fast. I'm actually kind of looking forward to it for UTSA this week. I do think that the defense is pretty well equipped to face that kind of offense. In fact, UTSA has faced a lot of up-tempo offenses this year, but it hasn't really felt like it because the defense does such a good job of creating negative plays. And Mm. if your offense is deep shots, snap the ball fast, and you got a not that great offensive line like USF does going against Trey Moore. 
think we're going to see pretty good number of pressures of sacks, and I think it's going to mess up UTS. Uh, sorry, USF is USF is tempo and a kind of offensive rhythm, their harmony. Um, so we'll see how they defend against this UTSA pass rushing attack that's um, become so formidable. Um, but yeah. I, I feel I feel pretty good that they're going to be able to create some negative plays and, and kind of throw the bulls off from the game plan. They have the third most total offense in the AAC, Jared. 453 mm-hmm. yards per game, only behind SMU and North Texas, which I think is really interesting when you look at North Texas and South Florida being the second and third best total offensive average in the AAC, both with really young, good quarterbacks. I think it just like kind of goes to show you the potential that's sort of spurring up over there at those. Yeah, places. this is more big picture. We'll probably talk about more in the offseason, but I foresee a really big season for the AAC next year. A lot mm-hmm. of really young teams, you know, EJ Warner for Temple Falls and that as well. Um, so I think a lot of these teams are kind of primed to blow up next year. And like the Mountain West has had a pretty good year. They were awful last year. I think they like might've been the worst ranked G5 conference last year, um, which I think people knew wouldn't last long. And sure enough, they bounced back in a big way this year. But yeah, we'll, I guess we'll talk more about that in the offseason. Well, um, the time for us to need to rebuild, Jared. That's yeah, no kidding. Good, you know, I know. Good, good stuff. Better wow. work that portal, baby. Um, one guy I do want to call out for the offense is wide receiver Sean Atkins, uh, former mm-hmm. walk-on for them. He leads the team with over 800 receiving yards, um, and he is an elite route runner. He had a touchdown catch against Temple, and I was like, how did this guy get so wide open on like first and goal from the 10-yard line or something like that? So then I like reround the, the play and I just like watch Atkins all the way and the move that he put on that defender was Zachary Franklin-esque. Just absolutely cooked him in a phone booth and it was really impressive Ooh. stuff. Um, he had a, a really nice contested catch downfield early in that game as well. That caught my eye. Really good player. Really good player. Wow. Okay. Okay. What about USF's defense? I think they have some athletes there for sure. They're kind of like middle in the pack um, when you yeah. look at their advanced stats when it comes to defense. So I think for them, they probably wouldn't lose their game off, off turnovers and finishing drives more than anything else. But I think their defense is fairly respectable. It's going to be pretty respectable. Almost two sacks per game. Mm-hmm. They've got some good athletes on the defensive line. Yeah, it seems like they're strong up front. Okay. They've got a safety, um, Braxton Clark. That's a pretty good shutdown corner. Or I think mm-hmm. I said it, he's a safety, but he's a corner. Um, so he'll be one to watch number two on the defense. Okay. Really good player. Okay. Their secondary does have a habit of kind of like UTSA has in the past where guys just kind of freeze in their zone or they don't know what their assignment is. Uh, so they do give up some pretty big pass plays through the air. We'll see if UTSA can take advantage of that since the passing games have been a little bit iffy these past two weeks. Hmm. Yeah, it has been. It's fair. Well, what do you think about the you, – you said to be wary of the 16-point spread. Mm-hmm. Do you have UTSA covering that? I'm going to say no. I haven't really thought too much about a score prediction this week. I think UTSA will win by something closer to like 10 points this week. Oh, wow. Which, if, if that 20-point line that's been floating around is what it ends up being, that's 
that's a two score underperformance relative to the spread. Uh, but that spread is just like awfully high. And keep in mind, USF is fighting for a bowl game. I don't know when the last time USF went to a bowl game was, mm-hmm. but it's been a long ass time. And there are yeah. five wins right now. Yeah, we we'll need one more. What is your what is your concern with UTSA looking too far ahead to Tulane? Get, looking to Tulane too early. I would say moderate. I do think it being senior day in the last home game for a lot of these seniors is going to have some benefit. Um, I've seen some people like worry about the head coaching rumors with AM and stuff like that. I, I don't, I'm not too concerned about that. I think the guys know what it is at this point. They yeah. most of them have been through this once or twice or three times before. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the look ahead to Tulane is a concern. Um, but I also just think USF could come out and play a great game and, and people are going to read too much into it and uh, try to do this psycho analyze thing. But mm. I think USF is a solid team with their backs up against the wall. I think they have the athletes to make this close. They're going to come in prepared. I think, I think Alex Golish is a great coach. I think that's an awesome hire. I think when we look back at this last class of hires in the AAC, Golish is going to be heads and shoulders above all the rest of them. Really high on him and the staff that he's put together. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I think it's worth to have some concern. I mean, look, UTSA has done everything that they needed to do throughout the conference play. And now it really does seem that you can reach out and touch it. UTSA is going to yeah. be in a play in for a conference championship appearance. All they've got to do is just take care of business. But you can't look ahead to it. You can't look too far ahead to it. You've got to be locked in on just USF. I have enough faith in this team and the team culture to do just that. But I wouldn't be surprised if we saw, you know, a, a wacky moment or two, a mental lapse or two. We've seen a couple of those brain farts on the field the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah, but this team is good. Yeah, hopefully the guys realize and really appreciate that there are no divisions in this conference. It's, yeah. Unfortunately, it's probably going to come down to a tiebreaker of who plays and who hosts in the conference championship game. You just can't afford to take a week off at this point in time. I mean... You lose this game, you are not playing the conference championship, period. So this every week is like a playoff game at this point. Those are real stakes. Those are real stakes that are on the line right now. That's something that fans need to understand. And um, look, I think this UTSA team is playing maybe the best that it's that it's ever played uh, during the, the Jeff Trailer era. I mean, the, the, the team is just winning games really convincingly. They're extremely well-rounded. I feel like this is the most complete team that UTSA has had in three seasons. Um, really strong in, in just about every department. And we'll take care of you, USF. We'll get to Tulane next week whenever we need to preview Tulane. We'll take it one week at a time. I think they're close to covering the spread. I don't think that they actually do. Mm-hmm. But this defense has shown that it does not bend too much. You know, UNT was able to go and put up 29 points against UTSA, but that game was on the road. I don't see UTSA's defense really bending too much at all for this USF team in the Alamo Dome. So you could give me UTSA 32, USF uh, 17. Dang. Holding with 17 would be a huge accomplishment for sure. Um, yeah. I'm going to say... UTSA like 38, USF 28. Some good fireworks there, back and forth, some quick scores. Okay, well, we'll see. 
we shall see what happens. Either way, we expect UTSA to be undefeated in conference play going into a Black Friday broadcast the day after Thanksgiving on a three-letter three syndication, syndicated network on ABC for a playing game into the AAC conference championship game. Yeah, yeah, that's what we expect. That's what we expect from this team. I'm going to start calling these uh, rabbit ear games for like if you have the rabbit ears antennas, you can watch it. It's pretty cool. <laughs> all right, before we get out of here, I want to say thank you to all of you guys for listening, for subscribing, for supporting. But big shout out to our big money donors. That includes Ben Tovar, the Bunch family, Zachary Quetta and the San Antonio Podcast Network, Alejandro Benavides, Dan Nerdall, the host of Around the Bird Bath, Jacob Cavazos, board president for the UTC Alumni Association. Maddie and Mandy, Jenna and Andy Enzadua, Rick Cortez of Red Road Grillers, and Homefield Apparel, where you can use discount code UTSA once homefield to get 15% off your first purchase. We'll see you guys back next week. Excited for the season to, to wrap up, man. It's been a good run. And we'll keep pumping out these podcasts for you. 